Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. A weekly podcast discussing each week's manga chapter and a reread of past chapters. My name is Thomas. And my name is Jordan. This week we'll be jumping on in the chapter 1033, then later we will discuss 413 through 421. Here we go. Starting off with our cover page here, uh, featuring Toshidi and a whole bunch of itty-bitty baby penguins having a good time, playing dress-up and pretend. Yeah, big fan of the fact that uh, the bad guy that she's dressing up as is a shark in this situation. (laughs) Right. Very cute. Um, I also like that Smoker is there, but uh, (laughs) not participating, aside from spooking that bat penguin there. Yeah. Uh, that might actually be a killer whale and not a shark. I don't know. Uh, could go either way. But regardless, either of those things would spook a penguin real hardcore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it looks adorable on Tashiki, so it's a win all around. Indeed. And I guess the penguins win too, because Tashiki is already surrendering. <laughs> yeah, good <laughs> point. That white flag a waving. One cardboard sword is too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That takes us on into the chapter proper. We are resuming, more or less, uh, right where we left off last week, excluding that Orochi stuff right at the end. Uh, Picking up with Zoro versus King, where uh, Enma is going crazy trying to suck out all of Zoro's hockey. That's no good. Zoro needs that inside of him. For the most part, yeah. I'm sure armament hockey is some form of it being outside, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I suppose so. Needs to keep it in this uh, arm at least a little bit, though. Otherwise, right. it gets all shiveled. Keep it out good. of the sword, for sure. Yeah. Uh, he does manage to rein it in for the moment, though. Uh, Kane notices this whole fiasco, rushes in, but a uh, weird thing. He stops just short of Zoro and is kind of chills there for a second. Zoro takes that opportunity to get a stab into his tummy, uh, and the man explodes. That's curious. Yeah. That's a strange thing that happened. He's into it, though, so he's got plans within plans. I suppose so. Now, I assume this has to do with his Lunarian DNA. Um, Maybe his uh, fire powers extend to his blood. It combusts if it makes contact with the air, maybe. Well, it doesn't look like the sword actually pierces anything. There's an impact, and he's, like, bent over at the impact site, but you can still see the tip of the sword. That's the thing that confused me. I suppose that's true. The sword itself looks a little shorter than I think it should. Maybe. So I got the impression that it was piercing. That's but... that's fair. I think maybe not so much blood, but, like, maybe just his skin in general. That's why he keeps it all covered. Um, but I mean, nothing happened when the piece of his like scalp armor was removed. So maybe it's not all of it. Maybe it's some of it. Maybe it is blood, but I did not go back to double check if there was any blood during the glancing blow that took that armor. I don't think there was, but I could be mistaken. And he's not like damaged from what I can see. So. If it's just impacts, he takes a hefty one and 
a page or two, and nothing happens as a result of that. It's all very curious, but I guess we'll cover that when we get there. Um, for the moment, the man has exploded. It's bad news for Zoro. Uh, we pop back into the pleasure hall where Sanji has just kicked Queen through a few walls from the looks of things. And uh, confirms the assumption we all had from chapters and chapters ago. That uh, Queen's comment about the Lunarians from back then was indeed in reference to specifically King. Uh, describes them as monsters capable of surviving in any natural environment. Uh, known as gods, supposedly. Uh, apparently real scary guys. Sanji correctly asks the question, uh, how'd they die then if they were <laughs> that good at staying alive? Uh, the queen does not have answers. He might know, but you know. Doesn't feel like sharing. Exactly. Too busy firing that laser. I get it. Yeah. He's got stuff going on. Talking about books that were probably burned on Ohara, so. <laughs> probably. And even if so, even if you ask a history book, it's not going to talk back to you. <laughs> Silly queen. <laughs> There's probably some devil fruit out there that can make them talk. <laughs> probably. Maybe a Montdor's book ability from a back then. Yeah, Persian sure. Just Why not? Big moms just put a homie in there, call it a day. Have the book read to you. Perfect. Uh, immediately after that, though, we check back in with the fight that was just happening. Zoro and King. Uh, seems Zoro just barely managed to survive that explosion because he got his armament hockey up in time. Uh, Zoro, like us, are confused about uh, what on earth just happened. But uh, lands one of his strongest moves, the Lion Song attack, directly in Queen's smug Lunarian face. Uh, but the man just tanks this one. He doesn't explode, no visible damage. He just eats the move, and it's totally fine. You know, able to survive that natural sword environment. <laughs> right. I'm sure there's like a land of swords out there somewhere. Gotta be. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I almost feel like there's no point in trying to figure it out because... I don't know. None of the it's clues seem mysterious. <laughs> it's just too mysterious at this point. Kind of, yeah. There's a lot of factors, a lot of layers that don't seem to be meshing super well. At least not for me. Maybe there's some linchpin, you know, out there that will make it all fit together, but not for me. Not yet. The only guess I currently have is that if the first like tummy stab attack actually did pierce um then it's like i said like the blood missing with the air and exploding or something but in this panel maybe he's just blocking with hockey um i'm not sure why he wouldn't just well i definitely have just taken this attack head on without blocking if that is what has happened uh probably would have actually hurt him but i don't know my only guess is that it's a hockey thing in this particular situation sure yeah but i don't know there's no there's no like wound there's no line on his stomach or anything i don't mm -mm. <laughs> you can't see like a hole in the uh in his jacket in this right. little panel where he's yeah. transformed and he's definitely like stretched out there mm-hmm mm -hmm. 
But also, like, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know. Why did he say jackpot when it was a stab? Like, has that been the only stab move that Zoro has used? Has everything else been a slice? I think the only moves, the only attacks that Zoro has landed on him up until this chapter have been the flying slashes. Mm. Like the one that nicked him on the face that broke his uh, his mask was a flying slash. Uh, all the moves that he was blocking and or dodging last chapter were the flying slashes and the uh, the dragon twisters. Just kind of a tornado full of those things. Right. So, okay, yeah. maybe it's a difference between stabbing and slashing, piercing, you know, whatever. I don't know. I, I have no idea how an entire race <laughs> could have something like that but indeed we just gotta find that history book that uh queen was talking about as soon as they release it on there right you and me both uh but back to the present uh after tainting that slash from zoro uh kane immediately transforms back into his pterodon form and launches his uh imperial deep pride state attack his weird launching something move from last week still a strange one but that's what dinosaurs do after all uh unfortunately for zoro uh enma's acting up again sucking out his uh sweet sweet hockey juice causing problems uh and as a result zoro takes a bit of that hit oh dear not a comfortable time Mm -mm. fortunately doesn't appear to be an especially deep wound just kind of grazes his ribs from the looks of things but it does mess up that cliff real bad. It causes Zoro to drop his swords and for him to fall. Oh no. It's not often that this man drops his swords. Indeed. He's usually pretty good at keeping hold of those things. I assume he puts glue on them after the uh, the mess with uh, Butchie and Sham in like chapter 10 or whatever <laughs> chapter they fight the... Uh, the meow brothers yeah it gets expensive after a little bit but it's worth it mm-hmm. uh zoro's falling kitetsu the third also falling zoro manages to catch it though as a brief flashback uh two flashbacks kind of one to where he was talking to the tenju man uh who told zoro a few weeks ago or whenever this interaction happened i don't know uh that he's the one who made it then we flash back to way before that uh right when they got to load town where zoro basically purchased uh kitetsu the third from this swords smith or sword salesman man uh that's when he first learned about cursed blades did the cool thing where he tested his luck against the sword's curse it was a whole thing yeah well as, as we learn uh in just a bit that's when he learned it in fiction but like in reality, he first learned about cursed swords long ago. Yeah, but he was a wee baby back then. That doesn't count. Yeah, no, you can't learn anything when you're a baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, fortunately for Zoro, uh, King, nice guy that he is, decides to not just let him fall and die. Uh, kits him back to relative safety uh, with a fire kick. Wapa. Crunch, even. Yeah, very fiery taking a page from sanji's book it seems or maybe it's the other way around i mean the lunarian dna thing still could be real for sanji distressing if true but 
you know, maybe this is literally a power that they have. Or Could that Sanji be. has because of this. Wouldn't like that as much, but it certainly hasn't been ruled out yet. Indeed. But also, like, if the dude's blood... Like, I don't know if we need to go back to this. But if the dude's blood <laughs> is combustible, then how is he controlling this? Like, are there tiny needles in his suit that just poke him when he needs a power-up? That sucks. Well, yes, that certainly would suck. But I had assumed that it was just kind of separate things like his blood is combustible but also he can control fire and he's got the like constantly burning flame in his back maybe he's like hmm maybe it is like you said and he's just got like a permanent wound back there that is just constantly on fire it could be and he can control it and that's what he's trying to like draw into his leg that could be i don't know anything could be what a mystery this man is Big who, King. Big who. Uh, but fortunately for Zoro, uh, he finds another sword that he apparently had dropped in that last confrontation. Uh, the most important one he's got, the Wado Ichimanji. Get another flashback to uh, his little boy days shortly after Kawina had died. He begged uh, his master to let him have that sword uh, and vows then and there uh, that for her sake and for his own, He's going to become the strongest swordsman in the world. His name will even be known in heaven, he says. Man's got big goals. Even as a, a wee, wee lad. Yeah, but he's stuck to him. It's, you know, pretty cool or whatever. <laughs> it's pretty much my opinion about that. <laughs> I'd guess Zoro's cool. I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, you know, cool as a child, cool as an adult. That's my kind of guy, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Uh, then we get another little flashback to him talking to uh, the Tendu man again, uh, who told him during those little trading days that Wado Ichimonji and Enma were crafted by the same person, the blacksmith Simotsuki Kozaburo. Uh, apparently, Zoro didn't consider it at the time because he was a busy, busy man. But, uh, you know, it is a little weird that uh, a famous sword by a Wano craftsman would be in the East Blue. What on earth is that about? Zoro asks himself. Um, he answers these questions for himself after a few more pages. Uh, takes some... I don't know what's quite happening here. Imperial slings and arrows. Is that like a fire projectile, I guess, being launched by Kane? I don't, I don't see anything that makes me think fire. Maybe he can also just do the flying slashes and that's what's happening here. He's just doing it with his wings or something. Yeah. He, you can definitely see that he's, like, moving his wings around. I don't know. <laughs> he's being a real mean guy. Indeed. A very unkind bird man. Uh, Zora manages to block best he can, but uh, Enma's being naughty again. Kane uses his opportunity to close the gap and crash into Zoro with a big wing kadoom attack. Uh, which forces him through the, uh, you know, I thought they were, like, on the island, like, itself, like, on the land bit of it. But he crashes through, like, a ceiling or something. Yeah, definitely a wall there. Indeed. I guess they're just in the basement now. Also, his arm looks super nasty. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. It's very uh, wrinkled and twisty and very curved. And, and uh, skinny. Yeah, yeah he's... 
having a rough go. This is Oro. This man was struggling with Kane, like, from the get-go of this fight. And now his sword is revolting against him. and Just uh, deteriorating more and more with each passing moment. <laughs> yeah, not really sure what it means for the sword to be revolting. Like, I just I don't understand the extent that this thing is, you know, quote-unquote misbehaving. Um, yeah, I guess so. We get some clarification on it during the flashback bit. Um, as we'll touch on it when we yeah we get to that point. Um, pop back to Momonosuke and Zoro from a few weeks prior when uh, Momo was asking him about the Tsunachi term that he had heard. That uh, I think it was Kiku that yelled at him for saying it. Uh, and at that time we had found out that, uh, Zoro had heard that phrase from an old man in his village uh, that we're about to find out about right now. Uh, the old man, as Zoro describes, uh, was always sitting at the coast, but he never knew his name. Uh, always sitting there. We even know that Zoro spoke to the man a few times, but uh, never asked for his name. What an odd, odd man he was back in those days. Yeah, real cool kid. Indeed. Uh, apparently, this dude was... Uh, Kuina's grandfather. Which means that since we know that that old man was Shimotsuki Kozaburo, that means that Kuina and presumably her father, we don't get like hard confirmation that he is the one who's like mm -hmm. on the Wano side of the family, basically, but I would assume that to be the case. But Kuina All at evidence. least. Right. <laughs> Kuina at least descended from a samurai of Wano, specifically. The Shimotsuki clan, which is notably the same clan that we assume Zoro to be descended from. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Indeed. So they are, I mean, it still hasn't been hard confirmed that that guy is Zoro's father, but all evidence <laughs> seems to point to that conclusion. So Kuina and Zoro are related, apparently. In some fashion. Not sure quite how yet, but... uh. I'm sure we will learn soon enough. Distant cousins or something, I'm sure. It's not weird, I promise. <laughs> um, uh, Tengu guy goes on to describe that Shimasuki Kozaburo broke the laws and left the land of Wano over 50 years ago. Uh, not clarified why. We actually kind of knew this already. Um, we knew that somebody, like a ship, left Wano uh, decades ago. And uh, I think in that same SBS that we find out about that, he, like, kind of hints that somebody had set up shop in Zoro's village, and that's why it's called the Shimazuki village. Yeah, but, I, uh, I remember that somewhat. <laughs> so uh, this is just more details on uh, what specifically happened at that time. Um, then we pop back in a proper flashback to 13 years ago uh, to Shimazuki village itself, where Zoro is hanging out with... Uh, the old man. This is where he learns about the Tsunachi term. Uh, Zoro immediately disregards that and asks questions of his own. Did you used to be a samurai? Uh, you gotta, you gotta ask a question when you got it in your heart. Pretty much. Uh, the man doesn't really confirm or deny this information, but does say that if you keep asking me about this, uh, the Navy will show up and probably kill us all. That's no good. Uh, <laughs> to which Zoro says, I guess. 
you yeah. terrible, terrible old man. I'm going to go do kid stuff now. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, the old man watches Zoro train for a little bit uh, and just kind of gives Zoro two real swords. And these are the same two swords that he uses up until they are uh, broken by uh, Mihawk and their little conflict on the Baratia. Yeah, well, they're crap, so. <laughs> Indeed. Described as such by the very man who made them. Uh, it does make you wonder just really to what extent these swords are that bad. Because um, they serve Zora well for like 10 years after this, right? Mm-hmm. It's just when they come up against Mihawk, the big man himself, that they shatter. So I wonder if they're really just crap by the old man's own standards, you know? Well, for sure, for sure. Um, I was wondering why this dude was just chilling there with three swords all the time. Uh, yeah, I guess so. You don't really see him in any of the, aside from like the one that's at his waist, of course, uh, in any of the previous panels where he's chilling. Maybe they're just like inside his kimono or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it also could just be that like, Zoro comes here to train a lot, and he was just like, oh, I, I, I'm going to do this at some point. I'll just bring the swords. Yeah, that could be. No reason to think this all happened on the same day. Yeah. Uh, this man gives a little bit of wisdom about the nature of swords itself. Uh, they are crafted to murder people. Uh, so when a blacksmith is honing his craft... It is to make his weapons better at killing than any other, which kind of spoots Zoro for a hot second. Uh, he then goes on to describe swords have their own personality, and if you want your sword to obey you, you have to bend it to your will. Uh, cursed swords are just a sign of great quality swords, um, basically saying that swords, the cursed swords are just especially high quality swords that people have decided are cursed because they are spooked by them Did you know it's pretty neat and he says that's great <laughs> pretty much swords are meant for killing people and they should be frightening mm-hmm. we do get a shot where Zoro's holding one of the swords that he just got and it is easily one and a half times his size <laughs> yeah it's like a man-sized sword yep he's a tiny it's baby just, I, I love this little shot of him he looks so I don't know, determined, focused, something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, since this flashback is about to end, I would like to briefly call attention to like how Zoro is kind of drawn in mm-hmm. these little flashback bits. Yeah. Uh, back in those days, like when this flashback happened the first time around with uh, Zoro and Karina and his master, uh, Zoro, or not Zoro, uh, Oda, used to like to draw like the kids in the flashbacks with really big like oval shaped mouths yeah and uh he doesn't really do that so much anymore but in this flashback he does it again a couple times it is interesting his art style back in those days yeah i mean definitely updated but uh an Mm -hmm. homage yeah it's nice to see nice to see the man paying homage to himself from back in the day yeah why why not when you've been doing it for 20 years (laughs) yeah Fair enough. Uh, let's see here. The man, uh, Shimosugiko the Burrow, goes on to describe uh, the greatest sword he ever crafted when he was a young man. Uh, his disposition 
deadly serious, as he describes. Holding it sends a shiver down your spine. Uh, Zoro is experiencing saying something a little bit worse than a shiver right yeah, now. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, just a shiver, dang. <laughs> How powerful was this guy? Yeah, right? Maybe he was just that much of a badass back in the day that to him it was a mere shiver. That's terrifying to think about. <laughs> this man was like a Yonko tier guy himself mm. 50 years ago, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, he describes that he uh, gave that masterpiece the name of the king who watches over hell. Zoro, in the present, finally pieces that together. Hold on a second. That's Enma. This is that sword. That guy made that sword. Therefore, that man, Shimotsuki Kozaburo. Golly gee. Doing some real hardcore math on the fly here, Zoro. He crunched those numbers in real time. Well done. <laughs> Doesn't feel like the appropriate time, but it had to happen eventually. I guess so. I mean, it kind of checks out that these things will be flashing through his head at this point. He's trying to figure out the mystery of Enma. So in the heat of battle, I can see how like a previously forgotten memory regarding it would come back to him. But, you know, it's got stuff to do, dude. <laughs> yeah, you can't take it easy. Like, you, <laughs> as much as you are right about that, he is laying here on the ground. I guess he's he's catching his breath as well. So like, I suppose so. I can give the man a break. He's had a few seconds. Kane is literally just playing with him right now. So he's going to give him a hot second. Yeah, and he's got to build up the hockey again, I guess. His arm's still looking pretty rough. Yeah, sure does. Poor guy. Um, let's see, anything else of note happened before we cruise on through? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, in the center panel, where he realizes, oh man, that man was the blacksmith Shimosuke Kozaburo. Uh, he remembers him saying... Uh, the swords kind of choose their masters. Only chooses a swordsman who best suits it. Which is also what uh, that salesman from uh, Lodetown said back in the day. Uh, to which Zora responds, Oh, uh, the sword is testing me, basically. It has to make sure that I can stand up to its standards. Pretty much. Um, then he comments to himself that, uh, Oh, wow, that Odin guy was wielding you as though you were light as a feather? Very impressive. Odin was a beefy man. Yeah, as much as Zoro has like improved and continues to, he's got a long way to go. Quite so. Yeah. Really does make you wonder just how strong like Odin really was, right? In his prime. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, because like he injured Kaido, for sure, but Presumably that was a weaker Kaido from two decades ago, right? And he was also getting, like, blasted away by Roger and Whitebeard and, and their little clashes. But uh, he was able to wield this sword with ease, apparently. And it's a very strong sword. I'm sure once Zoro masters it, he will be taken down king, of course, plus this Conqueror's Hockey thing that happens in a hot second, mm -hmm, but... Mm -hmm. It's very hard to scale uh, where exactly Odin falls on the old tier list, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it could just be that, like, you know, the sword was effectively made for him. Like, they they meshed as well as they could. 100% affinity or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But even that, like, 
I don't know, maybe it maybe it really is just a fantastic sword that brought out the best in this guy. I suppose so. It's not like one of the like super D duper swords that no. like uh Mihawk has. It's a really good sword, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> not one of the top tier ones, I guess. Maybe you can like I don't remember this has been like mentioned as true before. But we know that you can like forge a sword into a black blade, uh, which is what a uh, Shishui is, and a uh, Mihot sword are like permanently black blades because of all the hati that has been cruising through them over the years. Um, so maybe you can kind of upgrade like the level that your sword is at by making it into a black blade. Maybe once Enma becomes one permanently, uh, it'll be bumped up a rank to be on par with mihawks okay so like maybe odin had done that but now zoro needs to like replace it with his own hockey kind of to get the same effect is that what you're saying i'm just saying that like i don't know like the overall point is there it's just a a small uh zoro has to have a sword well he doesn't have to but i think zoro will one day have a sword on par with a mihawks and maybe Enma will be the one to get there because we already know that it was already stated that odin never forged it into a black blade permanently right Um, but are you saying that it's like i don't know i guess this doesn't really matter but is it like uh like a weapon in soul eater or whatever where you have to get you know the 99 or the 100 witch souls or whatever and like this was gotten to 50 by Odin and now Zoro needs to get it the other 50 or do you think that he needs to like flush it out of Odin's hockey which is why it's kind of misbehaving right like it's filled up with his hockey and it's expecting more of that but it's getting Zoro's and it's like wait hold on that's not that's not my stuff that's that's not what I'm accustomed to you know I think it's more the first one. Um, I think just Odin just didn't do enough fights over his years to permanently forge it into one. Um, I don't think what's currently happening with Enma is like a matter of like Odin's hockey being stored in there and has mm-hmm. to be replaced with Zoro. With Zoro's, I think the sword is just like, hey, my last master was a real badass. Uh, I'm gonna keep sucking your hockey until you can prove that uh you can handle me basically like i said before like it has to prove that it is zoro has to prove that he is up to edma's standards yeah basically yeah uh but we'll see how that goes uh some mooks show up uh just out of the blue basically to be uh shown off that zoro is putting out conqueror's hockey now that's fun um as Zoro is doing this, he's trying to figure out to himself how he's going to be constantly pouring the hockey that Enma is demanding of him. Um, he's like, hey, if I have to keep uh, pouring out all this hockey constantly, I'll like be dead in a few minutes. Um, and all he says here is, no, that's perfect. But what I took away from uh, those four words was kind of what was going on with uh, Zoro's mental state with... Uh, Mr. One back in the day, uh, how 
he couldn't cut steel, but he knows that in order to be able to beat Mr. One, he has to be able to. Therefore, when he beats Mr. One, he can cut steel and will therefore be stronger. I think it's a similar situation here where uh, I currently can't do this, but uh, I'm going to do it in order to be able to beat this guy, so I will be that much buffer by the time I've done it. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a perfect read here. Mm-hmm. On occasion, I have some wisdom about Zoro too. <laughs> it's allowed. No complaints here. Quite so. Uh, but he is pointing out Conqueror's hockey in the meantime, knocking out dudes left and right, but uh, not Kane, of course. Kane made it into the room, says, You intend to become a Kane as well? Zoro seems confused about this initially, and then immediately says, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right? Like, I, <laughs> I don't quite understand that. I guess he got lost in the conversation. <laughs> I suppose so. Um, then he says, I gotta keep my promise to my captain and my best friend. Uh, I don't often, like, poke my head into, like, the comments on each chapter, like, on the Shonen Jump website itself. Mm-hmm. But uh, just on a whim, I decided to this time. Mm. Like People in there are like complaining that Zoro is calling Luffy his best friend here. And even if that were the case, I don't think that's a big deal. Secondly, I don't think that's what's happening here. <laughs> I read it as, I've got to keep my promise to my captain. And also my best friend, which I believe he's referring to, Kuina. It has place. to be. Yeah. It has so, to be. Uh, like, Luffy might be his, you know, whatever, current best friend, or whatever you want to call it. Because, like, the, the man's done a lot for him, and vice versa. But right. no one's ever going to replace Queena for him. It's just, it, that's not how it works. Exactly. He's modeled his entire, like, way of life over a promise he made to her. Yeah, so. nothing will trump that. Sorry. Indeed. So uh, to the people in the comments on Shonen Jump who were saying that, uh, shame on you. Uh, reading comprehension is lost upon you. Yeah, you're friends. goofy and wrong. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's where the chapter ends. Um, I think I covered all of my points as we were going. Anything else you have to say about this one before we move on? Uh, not really. It was a Zoro chapter that I quite enjoyed, so good job. Yeah. Still very confused about what's going on with King, but I liked the uh, bits with Zoro here. Get a little bit of his bat story. Yeah, and I'd rather be confused by King than by Orochi, so like, that's a win. <laughs> Indeed. Any chapter that doesn't have Orochi in it is a win in my book. Ten out of ten. <laughs> Until we get to the chapter that he actually dies, and that'll be the one good Orochi chapter. <laughs> It'll make all the other ones worthwhile. Yeah. Maybe. All of the false deaths are one out of ten, for sure. That's right. Um, but no break next week. Uh, the manga will return on December 5th, one week from uh, today, as of the time of recording. That takes us into the reread segment. This week covering chapters 413 through 421, which covers the Sanji fight, the Zoro fight, and a little bit of the Rob Lucci stuff up until the reveal of Gear 3rd. That was quite the effective breakdown you laid out there. 
Uh, I mean, we yeah, we can go through it pretty much with those three overarching whatever bullet points. Even though the first like main focus is on the Sanji fight, before that we do get a little bit of Kaku and Zoro. Uh, and once again, it, it just does not disappoint. Zoro has been freed and... You know, he's, he's been dealing with some, not to put it lightly, but some shit for a while. <laughs> Pretty serious handicap, for sure. Yes. Uh, but this man hops into the fight immediately going for the neck, the very, very large, very vulnerable neck, in an attempt to finish it in one move and uh, make up for some lost time, but it just does not pan out. Seems like Kaku was expecting this. Yeah, wouldn't you know it? He saw a potential weakness in his neck and thought that Zoro might try to exploit it. <laughs> Lo yeah. and behold, the man has fought before. I mean, it makes sense. It's what I would have done. <laughs> On both much. accounts, it's what I would have done. <laughs> uh, but while Zoro's doing that, uh, Jabra, Nami, and Usopp kind of just look on for a bit. And then Jabra does one of his classic moves of pulling a goof. And I'm a little disappointed in Usopp here. I don't know why he would believe this for even a second. Like, he has been chased by this guy for probably at least a half hour or more. Uh, and he still just doesn't see through the obvious farce. It's super weird. It gives Sanji a cool entrance, but... Like, not sure that makes up for it. Yeah. Like, in... Trying to justify it from Usopp's perspective, I think in the back of his mind, he probably didn't fully believe what Jabra was saying, but he didn't know that Sanji was going to show up and help him out. So, to him, he was, like, hoping that this was true so that he could get the key and get out of there without, you know, dying <laughs> and such. Um, yeah, it's really the only way to justify it. It's not great, but sure. <laughs> like it, I don't know. It's hard to argue self-preservation when you're still walking into a trap knowingly. Like I don't know. But regardless, it happens. So, yeah, leads to a real cool Sanji moment. I like this whole interaction between him and Usopp immediately following this. Oh yeah, that's uh, some classic stuff. Takes over Usopp's fight against Jabra, uh, but does so without uh, demeaning Usopp's potential contribution. Sanji is a beefer, you know, he's good at fighting strong opponents like Jabra, but uh, Usopp has other valuable skills that uh, he can use to help Robin too, which is, I'm sure exactly what Usopp needed to hear considering that uh, Usopp feeling Eclipse was exactly the crux of his falling out with Luffy not all that long ago um, and I would imagine uh, pretty much guaranteed that Usopp was feeling even worse about himself in that regard uh, after he was being thrashed by Jabra mere moments ago um, and Sanji here also just doesn't outright tell Usopp what he thinks the solution here is uh he tells him basically to figure out himself which leaves the door open for him to consider what his own strengths are and act on them which i'm sure is a nice little morale boost for uh, the long-nosed lad yeah i think this is one part of the puzzle that needed to be put together for him to like 
actually get his confidence back that we see later. Um, the other part he gets from Zoro in a bit, but like without this foundation, the other pieces couldn't have fallen into place and it, it wouldn't have folded out how it does, you know? Yep. Classic Oda. Really like that. He like, we all knew, I'm sure going forward that Sanji was going to get back up and fight somebody. Right. But I really like that. He like made it a character moment for both Sanji and Usopp while still giving Sanji like the cool guy fight that I'm sure everybody was screaming for at the time. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you saw the bathtub, you kind of knew that something was going to happen. Um, <laughs> Jobber makes the most sense, of course, especially at this point when there aren't any others. So, like, <laughs> it did all make sense, but also there was no guarantee. You're not, you never know. Pretty much. Uh, but yeah, during the fight, lots of cool stuff happens. Um, the Wolfman states that he's the only member of CP9 that can use full iron body and, like, still move around, which is pretty impressive. And, like, that, I guess it could be read differently, but I took it as meaning that Jabra had sort of a higher mastery of the move, and therefore it was probably stronger than the others. So... You mean, like, his defense buff was also higher? Yeah, that's that's how I took it. Um, so if that is the case, then extra props to Sanji for eventually toppling this dude. Also, I would imagine that Rob Lucci is exempt from what he's talking about. Yeah, I would also imagine that just because like a little bit later, uh, we had a little bit of conflict with Frankie and uh, Rob Lucci there where he lands the, the Frankie hammer, whatever the move is, uh, and he hits Rob Lucci while he's doing the iron body. Um, and Frankie comments there, whoa, you didn't budge at all. And this move sent that Fukuro guy flying. To which Rob Lucci responds, Too bad, son. My uh, power level is five times his, which seems to indicate that like the defense buff given by it is determined by your power level. Or um, you can just train in the move. I mean, I was going to bring this up later, but like we know that uh, Rob is a master of all six of the powers, right? Because he has the secret seventh one that we see mm -hmm. later down the line. Um, and in this chunk, I noticed that Jabra seems to be sort of a master of the iron body, whereas Kaku seems kind of the master of the tempest kick. And there are six members in CP nine other than Rob Lucci. So like, I got to thinking of if each of them is sort of a master of one of them right now. And I didn't really give it any more thought past that. I was going to ask you your opinion on it. Well, let's see. Fukuro was using a lot of paper art, if I recall correctly, because he had like the specialty slime move, which didn't really seem all that different from the paper art. But I guess he can draw whatever he wants. <laughs> I thought he was kind of the air step guy. Yeah, he could also be... He did a lot of that in the fight. That's and then true. Kumadori maybe was the paper art guy. Just because... Well... Kumadori also had that, like, multi-hair-based like, finger pistol move that he liked to use. Plus, like, his, uh... He had, like, a stick that he used oh, that also, yeah. like, functioned in the same way. 
Yeah. Um, not really sure what cauliflowers would be. She didn't. She might have had the paper art. That would make sense Maybe. for the way that Oda tends to write women. That's true. Plus, like the the wiggly movements of that seems to kind of jive with like soap based <laughs> abilities. And she I does guess. the the wingle finger pistol. So <laughs> that's true. All right, we craft the code. And then um, Bluno would have. Uh, sure. There are sets of them. There's the finger pistol. Oh, Bluno has. Uh, well. The one that's left is Shave. And I would be hard-pressed to say that Bluno is faster <laughs> than uh, <laughs> Kaku, Jabra, etc. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But in, like, from a narrative perspective, I could kind of see it. Because that was the fight where Luffy like showed off that he can also use that attack, basically. That's true. Um, that is a good point. And he kind of gets to cheat with the the air door anyway, so... Yeah, that's true. We'll give it to him just to make yeah. it work. <laughs> I'll give that one three-quarters credit and we'll round up. There yeah. we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a, a good find. I'm not sure if that was intended by Oda, but I think there's uh, pretty much no contradictions there. Well, yeah, you can make it work, if nothing else. So, like, yeah. it's, it's fun for now until someone proves us wrong, I guess. <laughs> right. Uh, so back to Sanji's fight. Um, there's one specific part of it, um, kind of in between chapters, in between 4.14 and 4.15, that just like, I don't know, is a really fun time for me. Uh, it's the start of like just some excellent back and forth between these two. It's pretty much uh, an exchange of who has the upper hand for the rest of the battle, right? Like, mm -hmm. they just keep one-upping each other and pulling off some really impressive moves. But right at the end of 414, uh, Jabra tried to pull off, like, another lie to Sanji in hopes of getting an easy win. <laughs> and mm -hmm. Sanji sees through it immediately. He gets a hold of Jabra's key and flips the fight completely on its head like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's so good it's so satisfying to see him do like so much with so little that's kind of a big thing that i appreciate about sanji his fights are clean and well thought out a lot of the time uh sometimes he does just go nuts and beat someone which like i get <laughs> i get that too you know but uh, <laughs> this one really comes off as cool and calculated and that's really good to see yeah sanji was fighting a tricky tricky boy or job at least was trying to be a tricky tricky boy so sanji got a little tricky himself he got like some right. feints in like he pretended like he was gonna use his party table kick course and then like stepped around the guy and kicked him in the back of the knee <laughs> instead yeah yep. i mean he he um, like fakes running away in order to get a clean shot on his face like yeah, it's all and the backflip kick right into his big dumb nose oh so good <laughs> like it's I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he saw how Usopp was doing things lately and he was like, yeah, I'll give that a shot. <laughs> I'll add some of that spice to my fight. Yeah, may as well. Uh, that's not the only spice he added to this fight. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, seeing the Diablo Jamba, so good. Oh, I mean, right before that, it really seems like he's in such a bad spot, too. Like, Jabra pulls off the... 
I don't remember what it's called, but like the bouncing tempest kick, the wolves that come out, it's like five mm-hmm. of them coming right at him. And then, uh, I mean, even to the moment beforehand when he's got the 10 finger pistols, well, for the second hit with the, the fiery leg, I guess. I mean, that's the one that is for me, like the most exciting where he decides to take half of the attack just to guarantee he has positioning for the finishing shot. That, I don't know why, but that is so good. Yeah, big risk too, because if like any of those like five finger pistols that like hit his heart, for instance, would have been done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no coming back from that one. I don't care how close Chopper is, you're done. <laughs> like each of Chopper's fingers are quite large because of his wolf form and got five of them so very pointy yeah indeed (laughs) stabby stabby man uh but yeah he pulls it off does a cool one-liner at the end in classic sanji fashion and we love him all the more for it yeah i'm sure we could talk about this a lot longer but uh no need to that's for sure gotta talk about zoro some more yeah it's a pretty good fight it has weird comedy that i'm not used to in zoro fights i know that he obviously has had some in the past and continues to get some now but like i don't know kaku's just a weird one um like you know zoro pulls out his bandana kaku pulls out his perfect cube mode and suddenly (laughs) it's anyone's game (laughs) indeed the awesome power of the giraffe the ability to bend your body into a cube and become invincible Yep, he's more square than anyone. Uh, And while he's in that form, he uses a move that really confuses me and kind of is what uh, part of what got me thinking about if each one had a master over one of the powers. Because he shoots a bunch of the, like, laser kicks at the ceiling and they bounce off of it. Which, like, yeah, I guess for all I know, it's an aspect of some advanced form. But, like, it sure does feel like they should have just done damage to the ceiling we've never seen them bounce off of anything before yeah it's weird uh not clarified in any capacity but nope perhaps that is just the power of the giraffe right yeah (laughs) it did feel like um zach was more accurate than i thought last week when he said kaku was the prototype for king because it did seem like Kaku should have just said, this is what giraffes do. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in this particular instance, Zoro knows what a giraffe is and is generally familiar with what <laughs> giraffes can and cannot do. Not the case with dinosaurs. So he just kind of has to take their word for it. Right. Um, yeah. In the modern era. But uh, I do appreciate Zoro calling out uh, Kaku's giraffe nonsense a couple times throughout this. It's a good time. Someone has to do it. He's the only one there. So thanks, buddy. Pretty much. Uh, Right. So, like, I guess Kaku is still exploring his devil fruit. I mean, he's had it for, what, a day? Maybe? Not even. No, he's had it for, like, an hour. Yeah. Um, And so he's, like, still learning about his powers, which is extremely evident from the use and the naming of pasta machine mid battle (laughs) uh so it it does kind of make me wonder if the fight 
would have gone differently had Kaku had more time to learn about being a giraffe man. Like, he was—he certainly was not weak, right? And he, he came up with these moves in an hour. So I have to imagine, given, I don't know, a day, a week, he could have put up at least more of a fight. Oh, I have no doubt. But I think if he had, like, pulled out that, pull his net in to extend his limbs, like, from the hop and just took Zoro off guard with that immediately, mm. that might have been just the end of him. Yeah. If Zoro didn't react real quickly... Uh, would have been bad news. It definitely would have been. Almost as bad as this move that Zoro uses, which at least was translated from what I could read to leopard spinning balls. <laughs> uh, do you have a problem with the uh, leopard spinning balls? I just that? didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> like the name is what you're taking issue with? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand the naming of it. I don't know why. What were. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like, the name of that move in Japanese, and the only reason I know this is because I like using it in the Pirate Warriors games, uh, <laughs> is Hyotin Dama. So the word ball is directly in there. Yeah. Um, I think Keen, and I probably am just wrong about this, is like the automatopoeia for spinning. Uh, and I assume that just from process of elimination that Hio somehow relates to leopards. But uh, but like, what does that have to do? I don't... Whatever. Dragon Twister doesn't mean anything either, I guess. <laughs> but this one doesn't even sound cool to me. <laughs> it's one of his... Uh, one of his moves that the name should go back to the... Uh, go back mm. to the old workshop phase for. For sure. Yeah, please work on it. Indeed. Maybe he and Law can like team up and like figure out between the two of them better names for this and like the uh kroom attack from a few chapters ago i'm sure they're not the only ones that we could criticize their their naming conventions so we'll get a whole support group going mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but before that we got to talk about the end of this fight where things uh well definitely get a little confusing and it's not all due to Zoro pulling out the Ashura Nine Sword style. Um, I'm I'm fairly certain that Kaku straight up says the only reason he could use his swords effectively was because he was using the Pasta Machine move. Like, without the extended arms and legs, he couldn't use them at their full extent. But for sure, in the last pages of Four Seventeen, he's using the swords and has a long neck at the same time so either he's like a very quick learner and implementator <laughs> or well, goofed and uh, or i could have missed something i guess i don't have it in front of me but i thought that like during that clash uh kaku says something about like if i can like control the length of my limbs and neck like in tandem i'll be invincible or you know Something along those lines. Um, so I think he was just like swapping back and forth like as the situation uh, demanded. He was saying the, the control over the length, not the length itself. Gotcha. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, I'll buy that. Again, I might have just made that up, but sure. I'm pretty but sure it, that's what he said. It works for me. Uh, yeah. Uh, so if I remember, Zora does like the tower climb and then the tower climb return. 
and Kaku does the Sky Slicer move. And Zoro pulls out the Ashura 9 sword style and kind of just takes him out. Yeah, he sure does. Uh, this move has been used two other times since then. And I still don't understand what on earth is happening. It happens in one of the movies, I know that. <laughs> That's true. Counting that, it is three additional times. But uh, yeah. Kaku says that he's using like sheer will to manifest two additional heads and four additional arms. So is it like... An illusion? <laughs> is it well, just like if it's him... just an illusion, then how does that make him any more powerful? Yeah, right? How how very strange. And then he turns his slashing attack into a mist? What does that mean? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's very unclear. I yeah. really wish there was some clarification here. I mean, we're never going to get it. I mean, if we haven't gotten it by now, I don't think it's ever going to come. It's just a thing that Zoro can do uh, when the situation demands it, I guess. But uh, definitely one of the stranger attacks in the franchise. Yeah. It's cool. Like, yeah. no doubt, no it doubt. is cool. But that's not enough for me. Sorry. <laughs> Quite so. Uh, Zoro shows up, he turns his slashing attack into a mist, refuses to elaborate, and then he leaves. And that's, uh... He <laughs> wins, this fight. and then he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, anyway. But he does tell, uh, Kaku that he's fired, like, uh, Polly asked him to. Yeah, well that was done. pretty cool. I do enjoy that. Um, and then after that, we finally get another patented Sanji slide in chapter 418. I don't exactly remember when the last one was, but I want to say it was like Alabasta or Little Gardens or something like that, where he's just got his legs as bow-legged as they can be, almost <laughs> looking like a staple, and he slides across. Last time, I think he had like his hand on his face like he was thinking. Yeah, he was like pondering something. I want to say and he was like... figuring out his plan for how to deal with uh like mr three or whatever like he maybe he had just come across the wax house in the forest that might have also happened the one i'm thinking of was indeed in alabasta though where he's like trying to figure out where the uh yes where the cannon is that is and it he, exactly like, gets through a building to uh, make a path for himself yeah i love that so good and it is good to see that i was not crazy then and i'm not crazy now for thinking that this is a thing he just does <laughs> indeed oh, what boy, an angular sanji. man yeah anyway that's all on sanji um so <laughs> then we get a real kind of brief check-in with uh robin and spandam which is just really shitty and awful and i don't like thinking about it yeah. This man is just the worst to her. And if you've read it before, you already know. And that's enough for me. <laughs> uh, and then we kind of jump into the Robin-Luffy fight for a bit. And we're immediately reminded that if it were almost anyone other than Luffy in this fight, it would already be over. Like, six ways to Sunday, already over. Mm -hmm. aside from like logia types i can't think of anyone that would have survived the yellow lotus move that he throws out uh yeah 
the only reason Luffy survives is because he's made of rubber. So if that had landed on a an ordinary lad, I mean, maybe Frankie could have survived it with his front being like made of iron. But maybe. Aside from him. I mean, Frankie was not looking good after a a punch from Rob, right? Like, yeah, that's true. It makes makes him basically lose his lunch. Mm-hmm. All that cola coming yeah, up, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, and it's it's that very punch that kind of, well, I mean, literally makes Luffy kick it into the next gear. Mm-hmm. It is after this that he pulls out gear second, which he's been holding off on because he knows he's got a limit on it, but like. Now that he has not necessarily backup reinforcements, that's the right way to put it. Now that he has reinforcements, like he can kind of take the fight more seriously. Um, and I, I mean, you gotta love the the turn in here. That jet pistol just catching Rob by surprise, so good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very satisfying seeing that guy take a hit. He gets a few good hits off here. No, he certainly does. Um, and then like during this fight when, well, it it struck me as a little weird how quickly Luffy flips his attitude towards Frankie. Like when he first bursts in, Luffy straight up calls him a jerk and is like, why are you here? And then after one quick assurance from Frankie, he's willing to go so far as to tell Frankie to look after Robin, which is kind of the core of the whole mission. Like, (laughs) it's not that Frankie doesn't prove he's willing to fight for the cause and put in the work, but that's just a lot of trust and not a lot of time or words exchanged. True. It's not as though Luffy had much else choice in the matter, but yeah. yeah. The, that the is, heel turn there is a little strange. <laughs> that's the conclusion that I got to as well. Like, who else are you going to rely on at this point? But, mm-hmm. oh man, if you... Like, obviously Luffy's very good at reading people, obviously. Um, but if he would have been wrong, who boy? <laughs> I mean... Could Franti have really made it that much worse? <laughs> they were already in, like... The worst case scenario, basically, is one more bad thing. Really that much worse. That's true. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, this is the guy that beat up Usopp, you know? Like, I guess he does know that he's done... Well, what does Luffy know? Luffy doesn't know much about the guy, honestly, other than that. Luffy knows that he was helping out Sanji on the train. Yep. Um, that might be enough. He was like around when Fukuro was like explaining the rules of the key game they're playing, basically. But aside from that, all of Luffy's interactions with Frankie have been bad ones. Yeah. So I don't know. Not really complaining, but it uh, just struck me as a little weird on a second read through. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to Robin, though, getting real emotional. I mean, she's been reinvigorated and fighting this whole time, going so far as to biting stone to hold up her departure. She's doing whatever she can to hold up her captors a little bit, and that was one of the more desperate moves, and it hurts my heart. (laughs) Yeah, like, this dude's dragging her by the hair, but she... I mean, she's got to hold on to any bit of hope that she has, and honestly, her friends have given her quite a bit of hope at this point like Mm -hmm. she is 
it's it's new for her so it's probably something she really wants to cling on to and makes it easier to keep fighting i would hope yeah she was resigned to death like an hour and a half ago and luffy and co for the first time made her feel like she actually wanted to live and sure would suck if they didn't show up now (laughs) right like these are the first people in 20 years pretty much that have cared about her and like spandam did also just remind her that like his dad killed everyone that she knew 20 years ago it's just like Mm -hmm. god damn leave her alone but uh she does like get another burst of inspiration when frankie shows up to get immediately blown up like even though it doesn't pay off right then and there she still knows that people are making progress towards her because the last that she heard was just kind of an explosion in the distance which you know she rightfully assumed is people coming to help her but like she couldn't be a hundred percent sure and this has to be good to know that her all of her efforts are like actually paying off right now um the struggling without it she she very likely would have already been through there like almost no doubt about it absolutely and that is followed up pretty quickly by Usopp really uh really shining here like uh it basically may as well be observation hockey between this and something that happens a little bit later where he um where he's the first one to hear the rushing water between him Zoro and Sanji like Mm -hmm. yeah basically (laughs) you've unlocked it dude good job (laughs) he snipes the crap out of I don't know 20 30 marines from a mile away I don't know (laughs) it's hard to gauge the exact distance but uh from the top of a really tall tower uh considerable distance away and like wind and mist and and with a weapon that he created himself not but like what a week ago yeah it's nuts it's crazy to think about but as we said earlier he's kind of been spurred on by his crewmates which is it's the medicine he needed exactly so good work sanji good work Usopp. yeah Two good boys yeah uh Usopp gives robin the window to like actually try to escape followed by frankie tanking the rifle shots that are you know immediately fired at her and that's that's pretty much top tier one piece energy like this this goes along perfectly with what sanji was saying earlier and what we've said before with the whole you know you do you i'll do me and that's just that's how the best crew is going to be and this is it to a t you know mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the whole crew coming together doing what they have to and they're not even like getting out perfectly or unscathed everyone's in bad shape but they are clawing their way out indeed they do their best work in the most desperate situations for sure well and also with these three specifically like frankie robin and Usopp, even though it's not official like frankie is the newest of the crew uh usap as we i'm sure have said no shortage of times he's been going through 
a lot, uh, <laughs> especially with his position in the crew. And Robin, who kind of needs this reinforcement more than anyone, like the fact that people are always going to have your back and that you can get your power from other people in times of dire need, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just good. It's feel-good stuff. All of this is very sad, but very uh, <laughs> rewarding. Quite so. One Piece at its best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, Usopp should be dead. <laughs> 100%. Not only did he take a bunch of damage from some strong dudes, but that fall from the tower, oh my god. <laughs> then he goes, uh, I'm a hero. Somebody should have caught me. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. I mean, he's right, but also... <laughs> maybe you should have jumped when they told you to jump, bud. Right. Poor uh, guy. Oh, well. Uh, we cut back to the Rob fight, and, well, it's not really a fight at this point. It's uh, Rob being a huge meanie by cutting a hole in the wall, which, you know, would normally be a problem for Luffy and him, but it turns out there's, like, a platform above them that they can just kind of get to, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. But it sends a bunch of water rushing for pretty much everyone else at this point. <laughs> Indeed. And Luffy, I mean, he knows his crew well enough to trust them, always. But that prompts Rob to, like, compliment him on his worthiness of being captain. Which is as close as Rob gets to respecting someone, it seems. And uh, as weird as it is, that's that probably feels good to Luffy. Because, like, that was something that he was struggling with fairly recently and this dude while not respectable in any way is very strong so like to be recognized in that way probably feels good but also weird i don't know yeah i'm sure there's some mixed feelings about it like he certainly doesn't care about rob lucci's opinion of him but just the fact that like like you said his worthiness of a cat as a captain was being brought into question not all that long ago so just that somebody in like a position of some power uh feels this way you know someone that very much respects authority like right yeah even though he knows that spandam's an idiot he he (laughs) respects the position more than anything so like it kind of does mean something more coming from rob even though you're 100% right. There's He could not give two shits about his opinion. Right. I don't think Luffy's going to be calling up Rob Lucci on the Den Den Mushi anytime soon. Like, it's changing recipes and, like, getting his thoughts <laughs> on, like, current events on the crew. No. That would be funny, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. It'd be very silly. Maybe it'll happen once they eventually clash again in the future who knows yeah they'll exchange phone numbers at that time yeah um right so like i said they move to this like upper area so that they can keep their fight going it's above sea level so they got nothing to worry about and i mean one way or another eventually luffy is just pushed as near to his breaking point as he is willing to allow uh he's got these flying finger pistols coming at him tempest kicks so many things that like 
<laughs> he's been trying to beat him in this fight of speed and number of hits and kind of trying to break the iron body and then he just it's not working and he says you know what fine a lot of small hits don't work let's try one big one <laughs> and then he does the biggest hit ever <laughs> yeah i had forgotten that part of the explanation for the power of gear third is like the air is moving through his bones and and that makes it more powerful i guess it's kind of compressing it it doesn't quite make sense to me yeah um, it's they're trying to like explain what is effectively cartoon logic oh and, yeah you know fair enough oda but you don't you don't have to do that it's right like, hand. <laughs> <laughs> how the air is even getting in his bones in the first place is a mystery like could have just left it as blowing up his his hand yeah yeah um but it's very effective. It's really cool. I mean, it's a it's a great end of a chapter. I'm sure it sent people going crazy when it came out. Me included. I mean, I wasn't reading weekly at this time, but uh, I remember fondly reading this in my uh, business uh, organization class back in the day and giving out a little cheer in my seat when uh, Luffy <laughs> sent that guy crashing through the wall. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like he's headed straight for the water, which is no good. I mean, it also yeah. doesn't end up paying off, but, like, he had the right idea. Yeah. Had Luffy, like, punched downward a little bit and just pushed mm -hmm. him directly into the water, that would have been game over. Yep, no problems. Too bad he's a dummy. Grow that brain just a little bit, Luffy. <laughs> yeah. But I think all of my, like final things that i was going to jump back to i ended up hitting as we went through isn't that just always the way not always this time <laughs> like i don't know i didn't have any notes on sbs's or anything like I, yeah i was going to talk about uh the six powers thing here at the end but mm, nope already came up naturally yeah good work us champions so if that's the case guess we'll discuss our funny business in brief and then get the heck out of here. Um, for some of mine, we covered them as we went, as we always do. But I did have a few more here. Uh, Nami keeps trying. I mean, I say keeps trying, but <laughs> says some combination of Soji King and Usopp and just gets further and further away from the Soji King version, <laughs> which each attempt sending Usopp into a... A spiral of rage and sadness. <laughs> the last one where it's just no sop, where he, he's just upset that none of Sniper King is in there. Yeah. It's very good. It's Didn't just even like... have to put the nose bit in there. Just <laughs> did it to be mean. Yeah. Uh, she's been nine. real snarky lately. I'm into it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, at some point, I forget at what point. If it was like a little bit of Luffy when frankie was there the later bits but uh rob lucci is like don't you remember when i thrashed you real hardcore in the mansion to which luffy responds <laughs> i ate some meat and got over it <laughs> yeah no big deal whatever yeah um easy peasy not a problem at all <laughs> this isn't really like chronological in any way but one of my funny bits is literally just jobber's feet um <laughs> his feet they're so, at least in like his, uh, I, don't, I guess it's his hybrid form, 
I don't know. They're just, they're so long, my guy. <laughs> but he's still wearing his shoes. Yeah, dude's wearing like size 32 shoes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I know one of the SBSs talks about like CB9's clothing uh, stretching, but goodness. 50 Domu Domus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not to get technical here. Plenty of stretch. Um, let's see. And the last one I had is a uh, Usopp's increasing number of ribs. <laughs> the longer oh, Zoro so and Sanji carry him. I've but, broken uh, all of my ribs. All all six of them. No, you you have more ribs than that. <laughs> oh, uh all all ten. No, more. <laughs> <laughs> uh completely unnecessary, but it's the uh it's the intercrew dynamic that I always crave personally. Indeed. Things are bad in uh Annie's lobby, but uh Oda's trying to keep it light, and I appreciate that. Yep. Uh and uh, that actually those those were mine as well. Uh that pretty much wraps it up for us for this week. Like I said before, there is no break next week. The next chapter drops on December fifth. Feel free to send in your thoughts on this chapter via email to inherited will podcasts at gmail.com, on Twitter to at inherited underscore will, or simply in a comment on the platform of your choosing. And as a quick note, uh, Thomas and I do read and then record these on Sundays, so if you felt so inclined and were quick enough, you could get queries in for the current chapter before our recording. So for any dedicated listeners that really have something that they want to maybe be addressed immediately, there is an option. Uh, yeah, well, that's a great point. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>